and welcome to Leviathan News. It's October 23rd, and we have on King of the Builders, Ivan GBI, founder of Lobster Dow, and uh, just overall, uh, like, I guess, I guess, master of of understanding the the uh, what's happening with with people who are building in the space. So, Ivan, welcome for joining. Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah. Thank you for a very pleasant intro. I would say the king of mid curve is better <laughs> because I'm probably like at the very, very top of the mid curve and like the worst place to be. <laughs> well, isn't that the? I mean, isn't that where we all tend towards over time? You know, it's uh, like Zero Hedge has their like oh, over time everything tends towards zero, but like in crypto, like you always tend towards the mid curve the long you stay in because eventually you become a boomer and you no longer have the ability to keep a tab on what's happening with the latest and greatest. True. I mean, in life, you want to be somewhere in the, in the golden middle, right? Not too much drinking, not too much not drinking, not too much eating, but also nice food. So I guess for finances, it's just not at the top there. But otherwise, yeah, the, the rules should work of the golden middle. So we are almost two years into this post-Luna, post-FTX, post everything bear market. And we've come to a point where everybody has a gripe with something. Uh, no one's particularly happy with any sort of protocols. Everybody's down bad. And, you know, just waking up and going through the drudgery of yet another day of, of Web3 takes its toll on people. And so, like, are we getting towards the end of the cycle now? I know we're going to talk about Uniswap now, but you know, is this is this kind of the point where everybody's you know, at each other's throats and nobody's happy with anything? I would say we've been past that. Like people have been stabbing each other like earlier this year. Now we're at the stage of irrelevancy. Like people don't even care to stab anymore. Many don't even care to log on. So the only people you see alive now are those who either really believe in it and mm -hmm. they just passively, calmly observe and like take positions or exit positions, whatever their strategy is. And the builders essentially executing their vision. We also see many builders just also losing the grip as well, right? Like we see many well-funded teams who essentially like, listen, this has been so stressful. Some of them like in private rounds, they just return the capital, obviously mm -hmm. not full, but like, let's say 60%, right? And they just say, listen, we could have paid ourselves manager salaries for a while, but we just don't feel like doing it. So um, there's just a point to capital as well that a lot of funding in this case in the market basically means zero because even the large projects the activity is back to square one so anything starting today has as same chances i would say as anything else yeah and you know we've kind of this is this has been almost like a reoccurring part of the cycle where we have both successful projects and not successful projects that raised a ton of money back in 2020 and also 2017 as well too this is like the the second cycle for them where you know they set up these structures, they raised a ton of ETH and issued a token, and and now token holders are kind of like wondering, where do we go from here? Like you have, uh, you know, real questions about like what happens with these structures that have been set up, these these foundations, and then also have tokens as well too, and then potentially for-profit companies. And I, I know that like notably Uniswap is here, but they're one of the successful ones actually. Like, you know, I think the the, the takes that everyone has about Uniswap are, are kind of in the, 
you know, face of success, right? It, it is the most popular app that we have for Ethereum and on most other L2s as well, too. They make the most amount of revenue. Uh, they drive the most amount of users. And I, I it's it's just strange to to see people kind of point towards them as the the you know one one of the bigger you know screw ups with this whole uh you know bear market situation that we're in you know there's a lot of other teams who are sitting on a, a ton of capital who may have raised you know 50 60 100 million more than that uh and you know have no use cases have no revenues are losing users and it's just it's just a, a strange world that we're in right now you send it everything absolutely the same way i would say it and you touched upon a few interesting points there so which one do you start to start first? The Uniswap or something a bit more broad? I think we can start broad and then we can touch on Uniswap later. Cool. Okay. Well, everybody loves a bit of history, right? Like back in my days, right? That kind <laughs> of style. So I remember how it was Prague 2018, I think. And then there was a Prague ETH, right? What was the name? Um, anyway, they were basically like it, was, it wasn't empty, but it was very, very quiet. And every VC was like, oh, we're trying to, I was, I was in part of a project trying to do a fundraise then, and there was zero conversion. I mean, the project wasn't pick, uh, top of the pillar or anything. So that was one of the factors, but it was still pretty much zero activity there. And I think maker and other protocols had like only their founders money inside them. That was it. If they even had any at that point, but anyway, um, this is was saying, no, we are only investing in projects with equity now. So everybody just started buying a bunch of wallets and a bunch of companies that could show how they're going to make revenue. Because protocols and layer ones and infra, they're like, listen, uh, it's all a very new space. So we're not going to give you bullshit stories on how we're going to make revenue. We're just going to execute and then something happens. Now, it turns out the latter approach was better. And in startups, it's quite often the right approach, right? You grow enough and then you know where revenue is. There is probably an inflection point which Uniswap has hit when you need to just decide, OK, we're switching it on, right? But before we jump into that, basically they bought a bunch of wallets and then exit from wallets isn't as easy as it seems. Selling the token on Uniswap is comparatively easier than exiting a company with many shareholders that you need to align and coordinate an exit from. So we might be seeing the same thing now. People are discussing equity versus crypto networks. Uh, both have its ups and downsides, right? Depending on your investment, uh, not horizon even, thesis, right, to an extent. Whether you think stuff that is making money is going to win or whether you think it's communities and communities notoriously are not supposed to be making money directly, but everything inside them kind of like builds upon it. Right. And then that makes money. Uh, yeah. I know that sounds a bit too broadly, so I'll just shut up at this point. So please. Well, no, I, I mean, I wanted to bring up I wanted to bring up a story that we covered. I believe it was back in early Q2 about Aragon, uh, which, again, is kind of unlike oh, yeah. the the opposite opposite side of where Uniswap is, right? So Aragon, you know, is one of the class of, I, think, I believe they started raising in 2017. And they have, according to DeFi Llama, the sixth largest treasury in the entire crypto space. They have $186 million worth of capital in their treasury. And they really haven't gotten traction since then. They've They've tried a bunch of different things. They have a very large foundation that is paying a lot of salaries to a lot of people and they have a big capital drain. And, you know, the token holders who are holding the Aragon token uh, are just kind of out of luck because there is no product market fit for the token. And the foundation has all this money and a commitment to spend it. 
and there's no actual way for the token holders to engage in sort of a rage quit or an RFV. Uh, they're kind of out of luck. And you know, we we point to Uniswap as as like the example of what is wrong with the industry, but really it's it's you know where you have product market fit and are sitting on this huge treasure with no kind of in goal or or way to to growth possible no objection everything you said uh, yeah. checks out yeah um yeah. aragon compared to let's say what there are a few sites right as always uh, it's all about nuance right another boring statement um is you have also DAOs that have made somewhat like an olympus forks right that's what dcf got and other error how they call them error rfv right rfv yeah, risk-free raiders, yeah. Risk-free raiders, exactly. Running around basically trying to, uh, I mean, some people say it's looting uh, because they essentially sunset in the project before they should be sunset. Other people say they're just exercising their rights because they made a free asset, right? It's really circulating. They made the rights. So mm -hmm. essentially, if they allow for this to happen, then this should happen naturally. So it's just market. There is no bad or good. Um, it depends, yeah. But let's say when you don't have this option, right, of just essentially taking it apart, um, one question is whether you should take it apart or not, right? That's one. But leaving it aside, another one is whether you can't do it at all, like in the case of Aragon, right? That's one thing where you have a lot of money, you have holders, but you can't really split the pie, right? The pie is too small compared to market cap or whatnot, so people are not interested. But there is also not much you can split in terms of the revenue. So it's kind of like in a stalemate. Essentially, unless something happens and the startup is built, then there is no money to be made, which sounds pretty logical, right? The money was made to make a startup. So if it's not a startup that is successful, then it's logical nobody's making money. Yeah. Um, on another point of view, you have, um, I lost my thought there. I'll come back to it later. I'll throw it over back to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the risk-free raiders do have a point, right? If you do leave money in treasuries for too long, it's going to get spent. And it may not be spent in the best ways that that serve investors. We we talked about Hector Dow uh, back in summer how they you know at one point had been sitting on well over a hundred million dollars worth of of treasury capital you know they did some strange things like paying 12 million dollars a year in salaries i think it was even more than that and then they also paid for a uh, advertisement on a sports team uh to to get on their on their jerseys and they spent all this money and and then they finally came down they ended up with 16 million dollars at the end of their life cycle and then they voted to liquidate the whole thing in sunset um, and so like we can always point to these failed projects that that didn't really ever get product market fit they raised huge treasuries and were never able to deliver uh back to the token holders and so i think when you know we we, we talk about like uniswap which you know, now that we've had a, a week to to sit on it and kind of mull over the reactions to it, you know, the the Uniswap protocol is again the most successful crypto app that we have. Uh, it generates billions of dollars of of volume and you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of of fees for LPs. Uh, but it does have this like strange economy, right? You know, it, it may just be that that Uniswap is a victim of its own success in launching in 2020 it didn't have the hindsight to understand you know what the uh, implications of you know having both a for-profit labs company and then also the foundation plus token holders as well too 
uh, and maybe it would have done things differently, but we don't have that, that ability to go back and, and, you know, change anything at this point. And now we have a, this like three-party structure, uh, which, you know, kind of just has to figure itself out as time goes on. Perfect drive into the thing. So here is where things get questionable, right? First of all, why do people get angry and some people get angry? Well, when it's bear market, everybody's skating on each other, right? So that is the first explanation. The second explanation is there is also reasoning towards that is because once you say like things like you say, we build the community and then you slap a license, right? Slap a license is okay by itself, but when you attach build with the community, that gets a bit of that publicity, right? So it's kind of somewhat like poking a bear. Like, as you said, some treasuries are sitting on a pile of money, nothing happens, nobody touches them. Well, trust me, they were to put one tweet out and people would see, they'll be like, oh shit, now we are, we are losing these guys now, right? So there's just the fact of poking the bear. But anyway, back to the point. So it's not bad that they turn in the fee. It is good that the fee is there because that means people are paying for it. And at some point, all of this Silicon Valley, Web2, Ubers, and others of this world have to stop it. They just forever incentivize growth and see how much people actually want to pay for it, right? Unless there is somebody else paying for lunch right now, but uh, there is nobody, so it's the traders. Um, essentially, that is okay that they did it, but why did people get angry is because Many of them are token holders publicly, right? Other founders buy tokens of each other. Are the DAO contributors die, buy each other's tokens because they in this industry, they have a level of belief in it. So they want to get exposure to other good projects. And then they just see the companies turning it on while the protocol is ignored. So it's obviously they're angry, right? They're like, listen, it's just like, we get it. That's how it's supposed to be. But it's a bit of shitting on, shitting on others, right? Somewhat, if you're mm -hmm. a holder. So that's the way I see it. Uh, I know that you could say, oh, but these are just optics. They don't control the DAO and everything. All of that would be right. We are not finding someone here to blame. It's more the explanation of why certain people get angry. They have reason that there is a token, something supposed to be doing it. The fee there has been a topic for more than a year. Still nothing happened, right? And then the company turned it on. So that's the only thing. Eventually, of course, both can have a fee. But then we get into a very different topic, which is how much of the pie is there to split. Right. How much in that stack that they are doing in that vertical is there to split? For example, one tweet I like from that guy I shared it in the Leviathan chat in general is he's saying, listen, this is great because that basically creates a level uh, within which other protocols, apps or whoever it is, can actually take fees because that is the range others can play with. Right. So it establishes like a bottom line, which is great, right, because it allows for pricing models to happen within there. I like that point of view. It sounds good and like healthy, but then is the question: How much in total would users pay? Like, add other things on top, right? Add the protocol fee, and then how much would LPs be making? As you said, there are like three parties now sitting next to each other. So, how, how, what is the percentage people in total are prepared to pay? We know it can be a lot, right? Because if an app or a service is very convenience-oriented, like. Do you switch VPN? Uh, do you have your own server for VPN every time you log to different server? No, even developers don't do that, right? It's, it's, it's fucking, sorry for the cursing. It's just really hard to do that, right? To keep track of it, to be always mindful of your actions and everything. So people don't do that. So again, it's convenience. So for convenience, people pay 0.875, right? In MetaMask. We know that it's very much payable and it can be more than that. But the question is, what is the normal range, right? At what point do people stop paying it? Uh, I don't have answer to that question. What are your thoughts? Well, we've seen recently with Frentech that people are willing to pay 10% on every swap. 
and have it's not a user though so i would not describe it sorry to interrupt i would not really put them in the same bracket one is usage right uh where okay you can actually distinguish two things in the uniswap right shitcoin paying fee and something swapping like if usdc right mm -hmm. one is more like probably a necessity and not to trade not gambling another one is really gambling related gambling related can have fees as high as even like 10 percent, right they can be yeah. they can be astronomical because people swap with the expectation of making a 10x when it's ETH, USDC, WBTC, they usually do it for positioning or something where they don't expect much slippage or fee. Mm -hmm. Now, with friend tech, it's just farming points, like the, and all the charts show it. Of course, there has been some level of interest, but I would say 99% was farming points. Now, if it continues the same way, then it's another thing, right? But we are yet to see that. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Please come back to yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think that there. you're right. There is like a piece of the pie where after some point, it probably becomes detrimental uh, to, to raise fees anymore. It seems like that's probably like 1%. You know, MetaMask has been charging that for pretty much two years now. And they've made around $200 million in fees, quiet, like really quietly, <laughs> making $200 million in fees. And I think that plus the recent launch of the Uniswap mobile app was the real driver for adding this front end uh, fees because you know if you're on a if you're on a like a pc or mac or desktop or something you, you know you can it's very easy to switch out and go to like one inch or DeFi llama one of these aggregators where you know you can just escape the fees right if you want to get the best price best execution possible it's easy to do but if you're using the app and i think this also ties in with metamask with their app as well too you know, you're kind of locked into their system. And so if we look at what, you know, like Apple has in their closed ecosystem, uh, you know, they're able to charge a 30% fee on every single transaction. And nobody's really the wiser because it's not the users being charged it, it's the app developers. But if you're doing forward-facing fees where people actually like see the cost and the impact, uh, yeah, I think you're a bit more limited, but if people are in your ecosystem, if they are using your app and they don't have anywhere else to go, then, you know, they just, they just have to eat it. And, and that's what it is. It's an interesting topic on fees. Like when we even talk about banking, right? What I discovered more recently is, so in Europe, FX is decently well handled for some reason in UAE, because it's a newer jurisdiction, FX is a terrible thing. In the US, I think FX is also not too bad, right? But still, even within European cities, not like this scam exchange cash kind of kiosks, right? But I'm talking about like non, not neo banks really because they haven't done well, but more like dinosaur banks. The fees on FX, even USDC per euro, are absolutely astronomical. Like I have no clue how such an old industry can still have some such fee. I'm talking about like 1% plus easily, minimum. And that is after you negotiated it. And even if you do it size, so of course, I know you can get for 0% in some places, right? It requires more research and everything, but still something as old and as established as FX in major currencies, I'm not talking about some long tail stuff, is still insanely priced. So after that, when you buy ETH with USDC, is it 1% fee even too much? Like when I buy it, I look at the chart, five minutes later, it's down. Obviously when I buy shit goes down, right? So that, that, that we know how it works. So do I really care about that one, 2% fee? Like often when I swap, I don't know, like I invest in shit coins. Okay, no, I invest in very good assets that are there to be for long term, but when I sell them, they become shit coins. 
usually the opposite. But anyway, I don't really look at the slippage. Like, of course, I don't want to damage the pool that I try not to do. But if there is like in total slippage to sell it today is like 3%, while if I sell it over a week as one, I actually take the 3%. It's convenience, right? It's the same way why we all don't go back to Binance to trade USDC to ETH, even though the fees are lower. It's because all of these steps and everything are too much for us to do. So they probably, it probably is a question of how big is the market of that convenience? And given the real world, probably the market of convenience is the majority, right? So that is when a huge fees can be taken. So yeah, like I also felt like when I saw the news, I'm like, Hayden is making money. I'm not making money. <laughs> I'm very upset, you know, that was my first reaction. Then I read some tweets and it's like, actually it's, it's pretty good for protocol competition could be interesting. And after that, it's like, mm, yeah, not bad. So end of the day, this sounds pretty good, uh, potentially. Yeah, and, and you still know, not too much. You know, we're moving towards, and I, I think the Uniswap lab. There's, there's two things. Um, the, the first thing I want to say is that, like, I think if Uniswap Labs was called something else, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion, because I think there's some mental model that people have where it's like Uniswap Foundation, Uniswap Labs, and then the Uniswap Token, where it's all named the same thing. Hayden's kind of loosely connected to everything you don't really like understand how defined the structures are you know if if Hayden had just gone off and called his company like you know shitcoin festapalooza uh builder you know co and had been just working with this separate company because like a lot of other founders do that a lot of you know we looked at people who were building back in 17 like they built stuff and then just went off and you know, made private companies and are building on top of it. If he had done that, I don't think we'd have be having this discussion. But because there's still like this connection, the like the Uniswap Twitter is talking about things, Hayden is talking about things, like there's no real separation between the entities from a communications level. And it's poking think, the bear, exactly. If yeah. we had if we didn't see that this the bear, it would be poking something that's uh, not otherwise no. So who's poking? Yeah. We are the bear, right? So yeah, yeah, if the bear wasn't there or you were poking something else, then it'd be fine. Yeah, there is an interesting puzzle actually related to your question is, um, let's say you have a network like, I just don't want to make a consensus example because it's not the best, but I think it will drive the point across best, right? Let's say there is a network ETH and you leave ETH core team. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say when it's not fully decentralized just yet. So it's not like a network like it is today, but let's say you leave it when it just started. And then you make a for-profit company to, uh, get consultancy jobs to essentially build stuff on top of it. Eventually what would happen is you can have decent revenue, but most of the pilots won't go live. So you won't be paying fees, but at some point you will be paying fees. And the service, let's say as consensus that you offer to a bank, right? A bank won't want to pay, for example, $50 per transaction, right? There is a price they would be comfortable in paying. Um, and a part of that price you want to maintain as your profit, a part of transaction fee. So how much, transaction fee are you happy to part with, right? Conceptually, you can say, oh, I will do 50-50, right? I love the network and everything. But when it's big amounts of money coming in in your bank accounts first, and you can technically decide not to pay fees, so you can like, I don't know, bundle them on into one thing, right? And just throw it once a day because the client doesn't actually care for that. Are you gonna do that or not, right? Then it becomes like a very moral, difficult question because money coming in and you don't really have to part with it. You can obfuscate transactions and the expenses on the network uh, as much as you can by keeping more profits to yourself. Uh, yeah, but I think, I think that bundling doing, issue right? is, is like a broader, is a broader, uh, 
view of what we're moving towards in crypto. Like if you look at if you look at kind of this like because I see middle uh, Uniswap Labs as this like middleware layer, right? They're a front end that is helping you access these contracts, right? And for that service, you're paying a 15 basis point fee. There's a ton of other like middleware companies that are coming or that are already here, obviously, as well, too. You know, we've been talking about uh, account abstracted wallets, intents, and uh, all the stuff that's coming out with uh, like Flashbot Suave and order flow auctions. And it really looks like this may be pushing, or at least the Uniswap issue, may be pushing the Overton window for all these other middleware companies to say, well, if, if Uniswap Labs is going to do that for their customers, why don't we just do that as well too? I mean, we're providing a middleware service. We're a for-profit company. Let's just charge, you know, like five basis points, 10 basis points on, on every Flashbot swap you know, like, or even one, right? For the amount of volume that Flashbots does. Let's just make it super small. I have a better idea. Why yeah. trade on chain? Just send it home in exchange. At this <laughs> point, just go to Rollbit, right? I don't have a referral link, don't worry. Uh, just point, just go there. Like, why all this unchained transaction stuff? Somebody is matching you now anyway. I mean, I'm obviously joking, right? Because the security is absolutely in parallel yeah. from one side to another. But in terms of transaction, maybe. Actually, is there research in that? The transaction amount will be reduced, right? Because of that, or not really. Uh, for 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 what? With more like intents and stuff happening, like and everything being like a semi networks and stuff. Is there is there plan to be reduction or not really? It might sound like a stupid question, but I don't know. Interested to learn myself. Uh, you know, from what I understand with intents, it's just about like working towards like a generalized structure. I mean, we already have intents, right? With like CowSwap and oh, even yeah, aggregators. Yeah. yeah, aggregators as well too. I mean, essentially they're just like limit orders, right? Like the the, the user broadcasts their intent and the constraints on on what they want to uh, buy with. Like they want to maximize the amount of USDC they have, and they have a hundred or like one ETH, right? And so the the solver goes out and tries to find the best route that fit within those constraints. Now. Like the solver is always incentivized to like take the most profitable route for themselves, but because they're engaging in these like auctions, uh, then you know the the pricing should tor tend towards the, the the best for the user. But what that leads towards is the the venues that are hosting these auctions, say like at Flashbot, at Flashbots with Suave, right? Um, you know they could set a minimum fee for hosting all these all these uh, order flow auctions. And it's especially as they want to become like the, the, the goal of Suave is to like take all the, the mempool and block building responsibilities uh, from these L2s, right? Because they all have different systems and they want to create this like unified uh, like pool system that can inject, inject, transi inject transactions on layer twos. Uh, and so, you know, having that monopolistic ability allows you to come in and, and you know, demand like rent extraction, like increase fees, add, add these sorts of things that, that Uniswap has in the name of convenience and having all the uh, volume go through your, your middleware layer. Is that really bad? Like more fees people pay them, that means some other place can charge less fees and do other service. So maybe that's not even too bad. Like uh, as people say, like this could be good. It's better than having zero fees everywhere because that is mm -hmm. just not sustainable for sure, right? That creates some sustainability and ranges that people are by default prepared to pay. Because the thing is that with the services, and we know it all from ourselves, right? Do we care about like paying 999 for an app? No. 
But mm-hmm. when we see it in our statement every time, sometimes like, shit, I need to go cancel some subscriptions, right? And then just spend like 200 bucks on a dumb transaction or just lose money somewhere sending it in the wrong place. So basically it's like two years worth of subscription, right? I could have just not worried about that. But still, when we, if we are by default used to that and everything we do has a transaction fee or like a fee behind it, we think of that as the basic zero layer, right? And we just compare everything with that. Mm-hmm. So then you can be even offering discounts, right? Because everything is zero and somebody takes, I'll say, even if Uniswap said, we're going to take 10 cents on every transaction, people would still go mad, right? They'll be like, oh my God, you are thieves. Screw you guys, you robbed us. Um, so any number more than zero, oh, it's like this, any number higher than before, people get mad. But if you just make a number and give it a few weeks, people stop, people stop remembering that it even exists there. I'm wondering if you could uh, switch gears a bit and talk about uh, literally Gearbox. Uh, I know that you're very involved with Gearbox, and uh, it's you know, I, in my opinion, like doing very interesting stuff in this bear market. So, to what extent has like your overseeing of the ecosystem with what's going on with Lobsters informed what you're building over at Gearbox? A very smooth transition. Wow, yeah, that was a good segue. And, yeah, very nice. <laughs> wow, very smooth. Um, so. Working so on that one all night long. Out <laughs> of a broad question, so let me start somewhere, and then you can like funnel me into what is more interesting from that perspective. So, um, in terms of the fact that this intense and everything, uh, so here's the thing: there have been a few interesting infrastructural things people really start adding this year, right? One is being intense, becoming more of a thing. Of course, CowSwap was there, but it's now more spread out, and we see that becoming a thing. And then also because Gearbox is not about lending, but there is a piece of lending inside of it because uh, getting leverage is lending capital, borrowing capital from somebody, right? So that part of lending mm-hmm. is there. Uh, there are two things. The protocol, and that's not thanks to me, that's thanks to devs, uh, was built modular from the very start. So when we saw the fight between uh, Morpho, Ajna, Euler, Ave, and a few others, essentially the newer ones are taking the side of lending is AMM. And then, as you remember, Mark jumps in and says, listen, you guys are kind of morons. Uh, it's all nice unicorns and rainbows, but you still need, oh, actually, Frax in the same picture, right? Uh, you still need hand-holding users and tell them this is the highest APY, the less risky button, right? And Rari Capital guys somewhat expressed a similar position. They said, all of this modularity lending as AMMs and everything is very nice, but end of the day, users expect there to be a couple of buttons, right? And they don't want to decide their own risk scoring. End of the day, that is just true. Maybe asset managers could do that, but that's a separate thing. Um, when it comes to Gearbox, it was built modular from the start. So essentially, we don't take a position in that way. Uh, if you could actually deploy your own version of Gearbox with your own lending pool, with your own collateral limits and everything else more than a year ago, it's just that we never really advertised it because there is one thing, which is the rainbow narratives, and another one, which is practical, how do you grow the product, right? And when you look at the latter, the decisions you have to make are much more straightforward and they have to be much more focused than writing a white paper, essentially. Um, but end of the day, it, the architecture already has intents in it. It always had them. It could connect to even intent bots or whatnot. So Yeah, and, uh, and uh, account abstracted wallets as well, too. I mean, you're... Exactly, um... yeah. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like combines all of these narratives at once, right? And, they, <laughs> yes. and that was built like the same architecture essentially persisted for two years. So intense account abstractions and modularity were always like at the core of it. Now the goal is to turn it into actually a usable product, right? So again, narrative sounds hot, 
all of that is like, wow, fancy words, but like, where is the button? Uh, so the next step in V3, which is going to be around the piston pool, is literally about the buttons. So interface, more user-focused stuff and making UX better, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just uh, thought of that, how you the, the deployment of the, um, the credit protocols uh, was like probably the first account abstracted wallets that were ever deployed on Ethereum. Mm, Argent was before, no? Argent is like a pretty old one, I would say. Mm -hmm. Empire maybe, yeah. But no, in the protocol version, probably yes. And I don't know if there has been a, a launch like that after that. But I would have wished for that $7.5 million to be in the DAO wallet right now for spending <laughs> audits and stuff like that, you know? It was a fun event, but it was a very costly event. Yeah, it was at the height. I mean, gas was like 100 to 150 during that that time period. I think the most that people paid in gas was like, upwards of like three to 500 at that time, which, I mean, they're spending a thousand dollars to, to route these transactions, uh, which, you know, like yeah, they, they, yeah, it was, it was very high indeed. It was very high. And because the, these pieces of the protocol, like people were deploying pieces of the protocol, right. And they come with a high, uh, gas usage. So what was it? Not, I'm being a moron now. Uh, they were heavy. How do you say heavy in Ethereum terms in terms of when you're deploying, I keep, I forgot the word. Like, it wasn't about the speed. It was just about that they were heavy in terms of like. Oh, like the the memory usage, right? Like they. Yeah, basically they, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I forget. Sorry, <laughs> one day, yeah. But yeah. but yeah, basically it wasn't just the gas price itself, which is just heavy as well. So, uh, it's not that you had to rush. It's just that the minimal baseline cost was high by default already. Yeah, I think I paid seven hundred dollars to deploy that. No, oh, that was low. That was actually yeah. at the bottom. Nice, nice. You snake, you snake. It's much lower now anyway, so you lost. Yeah. Uh, jokes on me. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's still there. It's still working. So honestly, from the runway perspective, so talking about fees and gearbox a bit, um, obviously, when it comes to other DAOs or DeFi protocols or whatever it is, right, there is a bit of a deceptive angle that they can say they're making revenue, but that is mostly because they have rewards, right? Like Frentech, Expectation, Gearbox, it has uh, farming to an extent, right? And most of the other protocols, the fees they make are not clean because they're usually, well, not usually, they are 99% higher than the revenue you make. So your expenses in that way, if you count tokens as such, are related to it. Uh, but still, different protocols still make money, just that, yes, there is a token component that you price them together. They are losing, obviously. But, but is it, but is it like, is it detrimental to expect protocols to, to find product market fit, like, so quickly that like a year into their existence we're asking you know is this a functional system i know we've we've spoken to the pendle guys who essentially were deploying on avax had been out for like a year and a half and and really hadn't hit any sort of upswing and then all of a sudden like they just catch the wave right and you know they they skyrocket to 100 million tvm or tvl um you know, we, we see this a lot where protocols will build for a long time, but they just sit on it and it's just not the right time or narrative. Uh, like we saw with LSDs coming into the beginning of this year. Like P there's a lot of people who had been building uh, LSDs, alternatives to Steth, LSD5, if you want to call it that, lending systems. Uh, and it didn't really catch a wave until uh, the merge happened and everybody was focused on it, uh, like hyper-focused at the moment. Very true, very true. I think expecting protocols that are less than two years old is somewhat 
silly, right, to make money. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that the question, I think there's just a thin line. So there's a few things here. One is the hyper liquidity oh, of the token. So if you really uh, lost for a second. We lost for oh. a second, you broke up for a second. Oh, it's my, my headphones doing the mambo jumbo disconnecting, <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, one thing is just hyper liquidity of assets. So like if you release a token and you say it's governance token, like you will have to hear my opinion as a holder. Um, that's one. Um, the second thing is uh, at what point should you basically wrap it up, right? Um, should you just, because if you're a holder and you know what the treasury address is, at some point you see spending happening, right? Salaries being paid and you just get annoyed at some point. Probably for no reason, right? You should, you maybe don't even have the right or don't have the moral right to get annoyed, but you're like, okay, when is something happening, right? The typical question of when marketing, um, that's the thing. So expecting that to be done, the revenue within the first two years, probably a silly idea, uh, but I don't know. It's also silly not to expect it, right? You kind of, you invest in something, you contribute time to it, you put your own capital and then nothing happens. Uh, you're like, shit, taking the loss. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Uh, if it's a blunt question of like within the first two years, doesn't make sense to expect, I would say, no, that's too early. So counting any revenue or fees today for most of the protocols, apart from a couple of outliers, isn't that useful, right? Because if the market doesn't grow from here in terms of user base, not in terms of market cap, right, really, in terms of user base, then the amount of revenue people will split is tiny compared to valuations everybody is still sitting at. So then we have to reprise ourselves by, let's just say more than 10 types from here, right? Like it's not by five, the more like 10 times from here, everybody will need to get priced down. It's one, yeah. or we just need to worry the market and the adoption that will basically uh, satisfy the valuations that are there right now. Be it 50 multiples of revenue, 100, 200, doesn't matter, right? We are now in the range of 10,000 X, right? So that's a bit too much. So, <laughs> no, but I believe you, right? I because, yeah. you know, we, I, we, we have an interview coming out this week for, for Flywheel with uh, CryptoVestor. And he's, he essentially says, like, look, if this stablecoin thing works out, uh, we could see a trillion dollars worth of stablecoins come on chain in in the next decade or even you know five to five to ten years right and if mm -hmm. that happens it's it's going to push asset prices up immensely right people have to pay for gas everything gets distributed across the all these l2s maybe there's uh, good DeFi integrations and so when we talk about like revenues like the 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 size of the market is is so small right now that like you said yeah there's a there's a ten thousand x increase that that is probably going to happen from here uh, you know, once Ethereum goes back up to like 10,000 or 15,000 and we have $500 billion worth of stable coins and, you know, the market just starts going again, you know, all these questions about revenues really go out the door, right? About like, okay, like, you know, Steph is making this much million dollars a year, you know, that's going to, that's going to 10x from here, right? So it's, it's just this like bear market bickering that we have to deal with right now. But there is also a good reply to that, like as a counter battle, a counter rebuttal, is that if you just sit around, not just sit around, if you build around and just wait for bull to happen, then why are we even taking exposure or any helping founders and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. If everything is just going to handle X, then what's the point of even like having a thesis, doing something, building something, right? You don't even need to do that. Just bet on anything, really. Go put it all gray, red, green, black, and then just go home, <laughs> uh, which which might be just the way it actually should be perceived, right? Because logically speaking, that makes sense. But yeah, if the market 
again, not in terms of BTC price, but more so from the user base, right, and everything, and the TVL um, doesn't grow, then any amount of fees you're making today are still tiny compared to your valuations. And that, I think, goes for anybody. Uh, so, yeah, you either need valuations to drop by more than five times or you need the market to grow. Yeah, but, you know, we, we spoke with, uh, so Maddie, who runs Marshland Capital, was on uh, a couple of weeks back. And I, I was talking with him recently, and he was saying that, like, there's so many good projects right now that are liquid. And, you know, he, as an early stage investor, is really having to, like, cut valuations down by a ton. Because if you look at, like, good projects with, like, good teams, right? So, like, uh, like Rye, right, is a really good project. Uh, with a great team, um, and they've got a nice product as well too. I mean, you could—they're sitting on like a five million dollar market cap, and they're fully liquid as well too. So it's it's difficult right now to like allocate funds unless you're like a for sure kickass. We know it's going to do well product, um, and you know that, I think it's why like the, the at least DeFi valuations have compressed so much, and everybody's starting to look for like gaming or gambling or God knows what right now, like really anything to try to grasp onto to, to figure out what the next narrative is. And potentially that's why we've seen so much success with, with FriendTech this, this quarter. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so like, like coming into, where are we now? We're closing in on the end of October. Uh, hopefully you actually have a lobster suit to dress up for, for Halloween. <laughs> I want to get it for Istanbul, actually. If you have a link, uh, will I get beaten up if I put a lobster uh, suit in Istanbul? No, I don't know. no, no. People no, will be right? praised. Yeah. Okay. I, so anyway, if you know a good link to a suit, I can just order it. I'll probably put it on. Because I always wanted to do it, but then in Paris, it's just way too freaking hot to put anything more than a T-shirt on yourself because it's in July. And the other conference I was was... Uh, I think before that, I wasn't there anywhere. It was Amsterdam the year before that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, lobster suit for Istanbul, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so like, what what are you seeing on coming, like in the next like couple of quarters? Um, like what's bubbling up for you and uh, what's interesting uh, that you're seeing at the moment? Um. I always liked all of the MEV, DeFi stuff, financial thingies, because they just feel a bit more practical. Like infra stuff, roll-ups, everything else, they're of course good, but they, they are more of an underlying primitive, so they take longer to build and longer to adopt. Uh, and me having ADHD, probably, I didn't test. Um, it's a bit too, too long of a turn, out, a turn away, you know, not turn, turn around to wait for it. So mm -hmm. like something a bit more practical. So all of this DeFi, MEV, RVA, all of that shit, at least tangible. You can see things go up, down, the number makes sense to an extent. So for somebody who is mid-curve, you can even model stuff if you need to, right? Which is not a good thing to do anyway, because it will just get you miserable. Um, so that stuff I like. Uh, MEV, I never understood how to even take exposure there, because there are very so few projects that are directly related to MEV, uh, like Flashbots had their round with like only researchers back in the days, I think more than two years ago, right? I don't know if Soava had a fundraise round or not. Maybe just the same. I I didn't keep an eye on it. Um, but yeah, that is one narrative cycle, as to say. I mean, no, any any reply I'm going to give here is going to be generalized, right? People will just take a few sectors. They will say DeFi. Uh, why? Because it's nice and we like it and we use it. 
Second, social tech. Why? Because I don't know why. Because why not? Then it's RVA. Why? Because bankers will put their assets on chain. Okay, sounds logical. And then infrastructure, because we need infrastructure. And it's going to be a very dull reply that I don't think really differs. The point is, uh, in most of the investing, if you think you're a genius, end of the day, it's just power law distribution. So you're yeah. going to be stuck in that power law thing, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> you're going to have an outlier, but eventually you're going to get there. So just accept it. <laughs> I, so I, I do want to ask you, so uh, you won, you run one of the largest Telegram groups, probably in, in you know, outside of the, the half-naked influencers and other people who are, you know, doing God knows what on Telegram. Uh, you run one of the largest groups uh, with a very dedicated base. And uh, Telegram has been one of the fastest growing, I, I guess, uh, narrative sectors and assets uh, this year, you know, they are now, I think on the cusp was it 12. So outside of the stable coins, uh, if we discount theirs, uh, they are in the top 10 now by, by ranking. Um, is, is this like where we should be looking towards for the next few years? I know that like we all use telegram a lot. It's part of our daily lives. It's where we do probably a ton of work. Um, but it really hasn't permeated to the point where you're seeing integrations of like Toncoin and things, uh, or, uh, just really, I, I know we've seen like more bots and stuff, but th this kind of junction between having Toncoin, having Telegram, the app, and then having all these apps built on it really hasn't coalesced into like one singular product yet. Um, and I'm wondering, Great topic. yeah, yeah. yeah. So beginning of summer a bunch of people start asking this question because uh somehow some information i think was fed somewhere so people just trickle down like it usually happens uh probably because of the expectation of the wallet being integrated into telegram natively right which it has been today already um there is no blind signing just yet i think they call it tone space beta uh that one will be like blind signing which is great you don't have to switch to another wallet which which is actually some of the best ux you can imagine right which mm -hmm. sounds fantastic Again, you have to trust that they don't have the back door into it and blah, 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 but still pretty freaking fantastic. So people try to look into it, understand that there are a few issues. For me, there is one fundamental issue that I still, okay, two fundamental issues. One, okay, so I'm not a dev, but they have their own new language and people who look at it randomly say, okay, the new language is like, why the f do you do it in 2023, right? We are so tired, like just stop doing it. Um, they probably have some, what is it, Dmitry, the guy, right, who made it or some, or his team, uh, they have some probably crazy dev who says, listen, this is the new <laughs> Tezos, right? Or this is the new Cardano. They, there are some crazy people who are probably very genius, but that sometimes stops them from making the right thing. So anyway, new language issue, right? Is it an issue? It's obviously an issue. And the second thing is nobody knows where the supply is. So it has a $10 billion market cap and nobody actually knows who owns it. It is logical to assume it's the top. Of Telegram probably owns it, right? Again, speculation, but probably logical mm -hmm. to assume that. But it's $10 billion. That's not a tiny amount, right? If this picks up anyhow, the first person holding 10%, again, there could be just one random dude back in ICO stages who somehow got back refunds because you remember the fundraising stage was weird, right? They had a bunch of like pool groups and pool was selling to pool. So mm -hmm. there are probably a few layers where people just didn't get refunds and it was stuck in between, which now maybe own a few percent. Who knows? We don't know that. The so issue is it could just simply be nowhere or everywhere. 
So my issue is with the centralized network where the supply is absolutely unknown that what is it. But again, in Telegram, they're more about, I would say, micropayments, small use cases. Like I don't think they expect people to deposit millions really, which is needed for the big DeFi activity. But what they have is the user activity, right? Ethereum has capital, immovable to an extent. These guys have users who transact. Like, as we know on Tron, right? 10 USDT on Tron, essentially. Tron is most used for USDT for payments and everything. That's just a fact. That's where they won so far. So that seems cool. Now, they do, how should I say? It's a very interesting thing to look into. Uh, there are different approaches towards building an ecosystem. You can just try to take the playbook of every rollup and essentially run it back to Rebo, which still works. So you might as well do that with their connections and capital and user base. It should be easy enough for them to execute. They haven't done it so yet, either they are waiting for some technical upgrades or they decide to go a different playbook. Because them having more users than Ethereum and all networks combined, which is, I think that's factual, right? There are more users there in general in the app eventually. Um, they could just run their own playbook. They can just say, they disregard whatever DeFi systems you built out there. We'll just start with our stuff first, which is micropayments, some small businesses paying within it, right? Some small kind of bets and applications and just go from there. They could just take that route. And put or a 1% fee on top their, of everything. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Or they could just take the route of not doing anything themselves and see how it goes. The last one, obviously, is the worst, right? You need to, again, as we said with governance, you need some kind of hand holding at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I guess there is not enough data points, not to make it too complex, but if you look at, if you go there, you see a few of the AMMs. Uh, there are like two AMMs, two stake tokens and everything. And all of their docs, websites, apps have no GitHub link, have no docs link, have nothing. And they have a huge running line at the top saying, buy our token. So it just, everything that already is there. So those who took the early bet, the, the, I don't want to call them developers. They could be just opportunists. Uh, essentially just showing it as a scam. Because many of the team members related to that are like uh, Russian speaking origin. I don't know if they're Belarusian, Russian, Ukrainian, doesn't matter, right? Point is, if you remember ICOs in 2018, they had a very distinct look of a very specific style of the website, right? And the mm -hmm. running line and the running line send money here before the timer runs out. And to me, it just screams that same way. You know, that is, that is my issue with it. That it's not really the Web3 people. I could be wrong with that, but basically, I'm waiting to see that change. Um, I know there are some decent people already looking into it and they're thinking of doing stuff, but it's just yet to be seen. Again, it doesn't need to have that explosive success either because as app that grows, if they just continue doing micropayments with it, then it's a huge win regardless, right? But if you are trying to be active as a user and do something, a lot of the apps are just betting related P2P swaps. And well, that's what users actually need, right? So end of the day, it's not too bad. That's what yeah. users actually use. So maybe that is the right way to go about it. Like it's not a complaint. Yeah. And, you know, positioning Telegram as a like crypto financial super app really does make sense. I mean, uh, Durov just moved to Dubai a few years back. He's probably working closely with uh, the Dubai government to, to set up Telegram there. Um, probably has a very nice house. And, uh, you know, but I, I, I almost wonder if like all the DeFi stuff and crypto stuff is just like too small for Telegram. Like if you look at, at who they tend to focus on, 
when they put out new products, like we just had stories come out a while ago, you know, it was your, it was your Instagram influencers and other people who like look great and are good in advertisements, uh, that, that are making the cut and which is telegram is promoting. Right. Uh, because you know, they can set up these private groups where they can charge, you know, subscription fees and take a cut of that. It's a, it's a much more like clean web two model. Uh, rather than having to navigate these these difficult questions about like wallet security and Web three and like who's making the apps and you know there's just more risk that comes with it and so I I hope they take a a, a long term approach it's probably going to be more conservative than we think uh, but I do think that they're positioned like if you if you look at at any company in the crypto space they're probably the best position over the long term just because they they have 800 million daily active users, right? That they can activate. And if all those users get an average of like 10 bucks in their, of, of Toncoin or whatever in their wallet, right? I mean, it's still like $8 billion. It's, it's, it's very, yeah, $8 billion. I mean, it's, it's very significant. Uh, You're like, he can give everybody $1 million and still became, still remain the billionaire, right? Come yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, very true. So it's like, it's just the question of their direction, right? They could have easily executed the usual roll-up narrative of how to get from zero to 10 immediately and do it pretty successfully because they, they have all the TradFi connections and everything. Probably would have run well. Um, they haven't done it so because maybe they prioritize another way of uh, growing. Or maybe they just, there is also another way that could be happening, is that they are unable to execute even that. Because mm -hmm. what if they just don't have the team members required to do that? That could be a thing, right? Like many people are in rollups who understand all of that stuff. They already are Ethereum natives, so maybe they didn't want to go to Ton. Like uh, that is something internal, you know. Um, they, I'm not sure they have a window of time that they can miss. Like with rollups, you have a window of time, right? If you want to be one of these big super chains at first, you need to be now, because I think if Larbitrum launches, let's say, in half a year from now. I don't think people would even care, right? Like at some point you said, okay, we have like three roll-up ecosystems we like, like number five mm -hmm. is really not going to cut it. And people just ignore it. Uh, so that's true. Does Telegram have that issue of timing? I'm not sure, right? The app isn't going anywhere. So as long as the app is there, they can relaunch their blockchain in 10 years. So if their only use case that they target is payments, they can just relaunch in 10 years and add payments back to it. And the people use the app, then fantastic. The adoption is there. So. They don't have any time constraints, so they don't, they're not running against time. Now, that depends, again, on their strategy. If they yeah. try to make ton as money into currency, right, then the longer you are out there, the better it is. The more transparent you are with the supply, the better it is. So that is true. If you're trying to make it like a big DeFi whale game, well, then it's just the questions of when incentives begin and when the real formal begins. So again, it's not like they're running out of time either. Um, a very interesting case for sure. I love the app. Yeah, it's, I pretty much everything I do happens with it these days. Well, would you would you like to see more native features added? I know that like with Lobster, you have like the NFT gated chats. You have uh, we have Unibot now that's been built in, and we have a bunch of other bots that are being built for Telegram uh, independently of what Telegram allows. I mean, Telegram essentially sanctions the bots. Uh, they allow for these NFT gated chats. Uh, but Telegram could integrate all that natively and and add that sort of structure. I mean, would you would you prefer to keep all this independent and have like a larger design surface area on which to build, uh, or have this as a like a native app that's officially supported by Telegram, 
with a bit more like robust um, like uh, integrations built into it. I mean, people forced to make Lobster Dow Kingdom. Uh, they forced to make it, right? It wasn't like a, <laughs> I don't make any money on it, sadly. Maybe I should put 1% into that shit. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think natively into Telegram makes more sense because if your home is Telegram, then why have something external, right? If mm -hmm. the if that is the platform, if it is the only platform, that can, or if it's the major platform that can silence you or block you or do something else, might as well just give to them all the control you have, because what's the point of trying to repurpose that? Because uh, they're the last decider in that chain of right, of things. Like there's NFT, there is the bot that connects, and then there is the application itself. The social applications is the decider. Um, I don't, I never liked many features. Like whenever I open Google Docs, I only use like highlight font or something. Uh, and then there are people who love notions, uh, thousand feature lines of being able to do the brain thing and they love organizing and do CRM dashboards, right? Just a different preference. Um, I think Telegram, what they're good at is products. They're good at the products they are making. Uh, for example, Durov, the one he made back when he lived in his country and then now Telegram. So he has a two in a row, basically. Right? I don't know if it's in a row, but basically two, one of the most popular ones in the world. So they do it well. My only concern is Ton is a blockchain project and the blockchain project, you cannot execute at all by yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want, but you need participation and builders on the outside, you need other capital providers to also see that participation from outside because it builds trust. Uh, for most people, that is important, right? Of course, maybe for some not, but for most it is in crypto right now. So end of the day, if they don't have that Web3 spirit of having open source code, running it all openly, open to criticism and everything, and they build it like siloed product teams, they might have good products and they just might not go anywhere. So I think it also depends on that. Hmm. If they want an ecosystem or they don't want an ecosystem and they will just stick to payments and NFTs because, again, they're so big, it could be enough for them. But maybe the growth will be bottlenecked by that at some point. If, yeah. if, if what I'm saying makes sense, maybe I'm blabbering at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe you should have a, a uh, paid member chat. <laughs> I think I'd pay 10 bucks a month uh, to actually be with. I mean, I, I already yeah. have the NFTs. I mean, but like. Yeah, sure but you paid me. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Speaking of how much would the user be prepared to pay? If you already bought the NFT, you are not paying 10 bucks on top of that, right? See, the fee base, the NFT rugged me. Essentially, I should I should sue the creator. <laughs> Same as Uniswap, right? What is the max range people will pay for the fee? 0.15 for the thing, 0.15 to the LP, right? For the liquidity provision, mm -hmm. 0.15 for transaction fee. Uh, is that the gap, right? Is that the end? I think that's an interesting riddle. How much of the fee you can split among how many groups uh, to see how sustainable it gets? Because in that piece of pie, if one of the things gets unsustainable, the other ones might suffer as well, right? It's kind of like an, a living organism, essentially. Yeah, I saw a product, I can't remember the name, but essentially it allow it just gives you like a an address that you send crypto to, and then they will sell it and then deposit straight to your bank account. You don't have to use a centralized exchange or anything. And I believe they were charging 1% for stable coins and then three percent for anything that wasn't a stable coin 
Um, it seems like people are using it just for the, again, for the convenience. Like if you can make something more convenient that makes people's lives easier, they'll really pay anything at the end of the day. Yep, yep. I mean, if you, if you look into what apps you have, what fees you pay to your real estate broker, to somebody who helped you find rent maybe, to the bank, to any kind of anything, you are paying decent amounts everywhere. So yeah, like the convenience stack is, is huge in terms of how much it can bill you. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so what's next? For us? For, for you, for, for lobsters, for Gearbox, for anything. Can you drop some alpha for loyal listeners? <laughs> if somebody has uh, endured one hour of us chatting, I think we can drop out. So the token will go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, for Gearbox, it's these three around Istanbul. There should be a few contributors actually in Istanbul. So we'll do a, big of a, a bit of a splash there at the event. Very few people... Uh, are left in crypto, right? Not, not not very few, but like less, obviously. So it should be fun and cozy. Um, V3 launch, and then after that, go into layer twos in Q1, and finally expand and more into new assets and everything. So that is one thing. Again, that's not really alpha, right? I can't give alpha, not because it's a DAO and I'm not allowed to, but when people ask for alpha, I'm like, the only alpha I can conceptually have if Coinbase or Binance sent me a listing agreement. <laughs> and they haven't done that yet. So as much as I would have wanted to say that, no, they haven't yet. So I don't, anything else is not alpha, right? Building audits, deployment, thinking about the product, all of that in DAOs happens quite often. But that's not an alpha. By default, you can go read any of that in Discord. Personally, not going anywhere from Gearbox just yet. If I were to go anywhere, it would be to retirement because I don't find anything as interesting as that for myself personally. So there is no point switching around. Uh, if I were to get tired, it only would be to, of getting tired either of the fact that it has built what it aimed to build three years ago, right? It's almost three years I've been with it at this point. So only for that reason, or because I'm, what we would like to say, burned out, right? That's the magic phrase. I am going to retire or re learn. I'm going to expand my learning experience or something like that, right? Uh, like the, what is it? The Azuki guy said, right? Yeah, I'm rugging people because I'm learning. That has been a thing. Uh, but what alpha? Alpha doesn't exist. Alpha is such an interesting word. It, it doesn't exist. If somebody is telling you alpha, that means they're dumping on you. So the only thing you need to be concerned about is whether you have somebody to dump on. And hopefully that won't be cut out of the context because that sounded very wrong. <laughs> but I mean, information-wise, conceptually, not yeah, assets or trading. Sounds like you figured out how to make a profitable trade dumping on people. I, I'm yet to execute that though. Um, I'm Maybe. building the community to later on do it, you know, Bu building a community, right? That's the nice word. <laughs> Maybe 2024 will be your year. Uh, I mean, next cycle I'm selling out. That's alpha. Next cycle I'm selling out and not going to be doing active. If the cycle comes the way it was before, I am selling out. So if you see weird tweets from me, shilling crap, like Arthur does it these days, like shilling one, mar one million market cap projects, right? Yes, I, I am selling out and I'll openly tweet about it. The issue is that as soon as I say it, it stops working. So I pretty much ruined it already by saying that, but maybe nobody will know. Well, I got, I got one last thing we can uh, finish up on. And I don't mean to pick on Hayden, but it's just been like his week for everything that he's doing. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, Ivan, um, conspiracy or no conspiracy, uh, 
Hayden posted this on what was it Friday saying yeah that, that was weird as fuck that was yeah. weird like he's he's weird for that like he he's such a like okay morals in crypto are weird right people do different stuff they sometimes support the failed projects of their friends because they appreciate the founders so they want to pump right people have different reasons for a lot of different stuff but Hayden in three years hasn't done something outright speculative or weird right I would think he has been pretty straightforward as like a real death not touching the token price anything mm -hmm. like that just reading about product not picking fights or anything like that like very good like almost virtuous to an extent and this was freaking weird like this is like he's not stupid he knows what kind of effects that that tweet creates yeah. why be so elaborate that of the amounts and everything like that's just I don't know. I don't have a conspiracy theory, but a conspiracy theory is very easy to make up looking at this, right? They're just weird as hell. Exactly. To take a token, which at the time had a, a market cap probably of like, I don't know, probably sub million dollars and to spend five paragraphs on it just doesn't, I, I, I don't understand it. And it, when, yeah, when we, uh, when we know it. that like any news thing creates a token, right? Like, Trump picks his nose and they're going to name it booger. You know, it's any, anything that anybody says they're going to make a token for it. And here he is on his account where he has hundreds of thousands of people following him talking, like highlighting this token, even, even naming it. Right. I think if he had come out and said like, you know, somebody sent me a token, I'm not going to name it, but you know, I, I don't want to be associated with these things. Please don't send it to me. Um, he mentioned like three times, he coin and then he yes. is a ticker. Like yeah. he is very explicitly shilling here. Like they just sus. Like they just if there is something sus he could do, that's sus. Maybe the he wanted to just let people forget about the uh, <laughs> revenue announcement. He just wanted like, yeah, let me do some other shit. Because I, I think one of the other Uniswap founders actually dumped his for like so that. That was even more weird for 98, right? You saw that tweet as well. I, did, I saw yeah. that. I was like, that is even he's even more weird for that. Like. What if he had like some depth, you know, like the conspiracy theory? He was indebted to him for something he couldn't disclose. And that was his only way as an American to give back the proceeds without some tax implications or crap like that, you know? And weird, some weird shady shit. Yeah. Cause like this, this John Palmer guy who publicly is the one who, you know, bought this token up, burned up the whole supply, and then funded the LP. Uh, you know, like I, we, we don't know if he has any connections or anything, but definitely weird that the, the, the lesser known Uniswap founder comes in and just like dumps 92 ETH worth of Haycoin, like literally a few hours after Hayden makes this tweet. Very strange. Very strange. I mean, that, I wouldn't say it's strange if he dumped it because, well, you see some useless shitcoin in your wallet, you go sell it, right? Yeah. I'm not sure that activity is strange. Is it the fact that Hayden advertised it so hard? Um, I actually, speaking of that kind of announcement, if you still have time, because like, I have no life anyway. Um, <laughs> remember when Vitalik tweeted uh, an article about WorldCoin immediately as it launched? I was also weirded out by that. I'm like, it's a bit weird. But then people said, listen, like this is by the biggest AI founder. So at this point, it's not Vitalik giving attention. It's Vitalik leeching on the attention, essentially, because comparatively size-wise, he's a smaller person compared to him. I'm like... Okay, if you put it that way, then I understand. But still, it was weird also how he timed it. That's 
<laughs> this guy lol <laughs> yeah that was weird i mean the if if you look at least at least with uh, uh vitalik you know when he got given all that shiba at least he took all of it and gave it to the india relief fund right and you know they have a few hundred million dollars in that treasury still that that they can use for public goods um public goods uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe yes no we will see but but yes true true that that was a logical move uh, yeah. that, like that made sense right but uh, i'm pretty sure it has bad tax implications both for vitalik potentially as well as for the person he sent it to so uh that cannot be done lightly not to jump into the you know, it's always terrible when somebody says oh you know what the legal implications of this you're like oh my <laughs> yeah. god we know it just stop just shut up <laughs> But in that case, when you send 500 million, it's not it's not a low implication, right? That is actually quite an implication. Yeah, I think the unfortunate like side effect of being encrypted too long is that you just believe everything is a psyop, which I, honestly it probably is. It's either a psyop or a rug or something nefarious <laughs> happening. There's always something should, going on. You should just turn on the video as an engine of this girl by saying like, what if it's all a scam and everything is going down and we are all going to die and then she breaks down the stream. You know that video? Like, uh... <laughs> No, 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 no but no. um, maybe, maybe it all uh, explains the recent Bitcoin pump, though, because you can't launch a scam on Bitcoin. <laughs> like Ethereum's nothing but scams. <laughs> Ouch, that's that's deep. It's getting deeper, yeah. But you yeah. see, yeah, like what if it's all a scam and we're all gonna die? And it's, the world is ending, and uh, and then just the screen just turns off, and it's like goodbye till next time. <laughs> well, let's end it there. That is goodbye until next time, which will be tomorrow. Uh, Ivan, thank you so much for being here and enlightening us about uh, everything that we discussed today. Thank you for inviting. Hopefully some of that made sense. Uh, there are at least two points in the video, which I think if they were cut and sent to the wrong agency, I would be getting questions. <laughs> uh, so please don't do that. And this is not an invitation to actually do that. But if you do it, do send to DM me because it was funny. But otherwise, yes, thank you for the invite and yeah. asking questions and uh, hope for the invite sometime soon again. You know, it would be great to get the whole Gearbox team here. We've had Amplis on before and we love Amplis and uh, we love all the other guys who are working at Gearbox as well too. Super Quite funny, are. the best memes and uh, probably like honestly the best, the best like meme marketing department in crypto. I would say Wyorn is doing well as well. Wyorn yeah. has amazing videos that they do. They have very high quality. Um, I think CowSwap has in general decent marketing in terms of their posts. Like it's just mm -hmm. clean and not cringy. Wyorn has great videos and like great puns. Others others are good as well. It's just that those stand out to me on top of my memory. Yeah. But mm -hmm. uh, Amplis and Muggle are trying to do their best when it comes to marketing at the Gearbox. So yeah, kudos to them, agree. Cool, cool. Well, everybody tuning in, make sure to subscribe and share us out. Send us to your moms and your dads. Let them see the degeneracy that happens on chain. And uh, we can make up for it later once they become subscribers. Thank you so much, everybody. And we will be back tomorrow with another episode of Leviathan News. And thank you so much, Ivan, for being here. And uh, oh, yeah. Oh, actually, we have uh, we have DeFi Dude from Builda who is coming on tomorrow. He's going to come talk to us. Uh, he's going to be starting a, a, a bi-weekly special now uh, to come in and share the top projects that are on Builda. So tune in tomorrow to find out what's popping over at Builda with DeFi Dude. And